Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Wildlife for You podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Payne, and I'm joined here by my best friend and brilliant co-host, Daryl Rodajek. So, Dee, before we jump into tonight's topic, are you getting pretty excited for next week? Oh, my gosh, Steph. You you have absolutely no idea how long I've been waiting for this coming week. Because think about it. You and I, we, we've been going at this podcast pretty hard and heavy for almost a whole year. And we've been doing at least one, sometimes two podcasts a week. I've had to put up with your bloopers, your flubs, your constant teasing every week nonstop. I'm finally going to get a break next week because you're going out of town. <laughs> Dude, that's, that is so not what I was talking about. I was referring to your trip. Aren't you going on some kind of dream hunt? Uh, yeah, I actually am. And I, I am looking forward to that, too. It's, it's another perk of next week. But I am actually going to this wonderful, beautiful place in northern New Mexico. And I'm doing this, this elk hunt that I've been looking forward to for a long, long time. The main thing, I am just dying to put a load of elk meat in my, in my freezer. So, Anyway, I'll probably come back from that trip and find out you you replaced me with some kind of woodchuck or other fuzzy, lovable creature. <laughs> Do not give me ideas, pal. Um, anyway, did you have a good holiday weekend? Oh, this past uh, Labor Day weekend? You mean besides like cleaning out my garage and going through every single stitch of hunting and camping gear I have? <laughs> I guess it wasn't that bad. How about you? I did my typical weekend routine and mowed for pretty much three days straight. Oh, well, that that, that does not sound like too much fun there. <laughs> anyway, um, well, speaking of the weekend, if you must know, I will tell you, I did have one very frustrating thing happen to me over the weekend. And, and I know you're not going to believe this, but it actually involved something on Facebook. Get out, you, on Facebook? <laughs> I know, I know, it's hard to believe, but I had this issue that I just couldn't get out of my head. So there's this community forum on Facebook in which I still belong. I've got a couple of friends there that are still involved with that. So I hang out there every once in a while, just see what's going on. And if, in case you didn't know, those those town forum community Facebook pages, that's where people just get on there to complain or ask questions that are usually really easily answered with a quick Google search. <laughs> uh, no, I have absolutely no idea. Okay, here, how about this? Let, let me explain it to you this way. Think, think about sitting in a crowded department of motor vehicles and you're waiting for hours upon hours to get your driver's license and there's literally hundreds of people there and you can hear each and every conversation that's going on. That sounds hideous. Exactly. That's how these community forums are. So, so why, wait, why on this green earth then do you go there? Well, if I didn't go there, who the heck is going to quell all those back, Black Panther sightings? Back, but I can't even say it. <laughs> Who's going to quell all the Black Panther sightings? Um, you know what? And I'm so sure they listen to you too. <laughs> That's a really good point. I don't think anyone has ever said, huh, you know, you're right, Daryl. They should, though. But anyway, believe it or not, within those community forums, there's actually a few wildlife questions that do pop up from time to time. And that's usually my cue. And that's about the only time I truly chime in on those forums. Anyway, this past weekend, there was this woman there 
who was actually looking for help. And she had rescued this little tiny baby turtle that was stuck in her pool filter. It was super cute. I got to send you a picture of it. Anyway, she took this really, really cute picture and she posted it on that Facebook forum and she was asking what kind of turtle it was. So what kind of turtle was it? I had no clue. <laughs> the, the extent of my turtle experience probably goes back to when I rescued Dakota and Sarah from the, that attack turtle. <laughs> I remember that. And for our listeners who have no idea what Daryl is talking about, at one point in his career, the U.S. Fish and Wild Service, excuse me, Fish and Wildlife Service, asked him to watch over a couple of cinnamon-colored black bears while they completed an investigation for a court case. So Daryl, of course, was working at the Appalachian Bear Center at the time. So he had these large outdoor enclosures um, where they would house the bears. Well, lo and behold, he went down to feed these black bears and noticed that they're just being absolutely traumatized by another animal that had found its way into the enclosure. Now, sadly, these large, beautiful, and insanely strong and powerful black bears, they didn't really know that they were bears since they were raised by humans. And in case you're wondering what type of animal was absolutely tormenting him, it was this crazy, powerful, the super stealthy fox turtle. <laughs> yes, it was an attack turtle. <laughs> I, I, I love this. I, I can still picture them like sneaking up to that turtle on their belly and like tapping it on the shell and then going running back into the bushes. So. <laughs> anyway, that's that's sadly pretty much the extent of my turtle career and it's crazy because i've worked with all sorts of animals ranging from the largest bears to jumping mice to birds to fish and salamanders i heck i even handled a couple of snakes in my day but anyway i just really haven't dealt with many turtles so when i saw this post on facebook and they were asking for help identifying the turtle i ended up pulling out my turtle books Seriously, Dave, you have turtle books? Well, no, not really. But I do have a wonderful source for wildlife information, especially for Tennessee. And it's this website that was developed by, by my colleague and good friend, a fellow wild, wildlife biologist when I was working for TWRA, um, Scott Summershoe. And, and it's, it's a wonderful tool for people to learn about those animals that are often forgotten, or at least not talked about very much. So anyway, I went to that website and I went to the reptile section. I started looking at all the different species of turtles that are found in Tennessee. And did I mention that this Facebook page was from the town I used to live in, in Tennessee? Uh, no, but I think we figured that out. Anyway, proceed, what did you find out? <laughs> Well, given that single picture that I had, my best guess was that it was a common map turtle. It was, just so you know, it was literally the stinking image of the picture that this woman took compared to a map turtle on this website. And they were identical to a T. But knowing my limitations with turtle identification, I did send it to another professor in Tennessee and he too concurred that it was a map turtle. And so lo and behold, when I posted, when it, or at least when I went to post on the Facebook page, there's already a whole bunch of people telling her exactly what it was. And would you believe none of them ever mentioned a map turtle? <laughs> Daryl, 
haven't you learned by now? Those public pages are littered with professional armchair biologists. They know everything that there is to know about wildlife, and they are not afraid to say it. Oh my gosh, don't I know it. <laughs> I think I think all those folks there on that Facebook page would give old man Johnson a run for his money. Old man Johnson, of course, is the one responsible in, in our eyes for all of those urban wildlife legends like Black Panthers, government stocked rattlesnakes, and those super deadly jatty long legs that, that just don't have mouth parts capable of biting somebody. Exactly. And, and so knowing my competition with all those other folks and and the fact that I verified it with someone else I I was feeling pretty good with my turtle analysis so it makes you make it sound like that changed so what changed things well someone who raised turtles at a pet store identified it as a red-eared slider and they were very very adamant and confident about that now think a red-eared slider now let me ask you this Steph wouldn't any normal, sane individual think that a red-eared slider would have some red on or near his ears? <laughs> I mean, of course. And in the case of red-eared sliders, they actually do have a reddish marking on the side of their head. I know. But, but this particular turtle didn't have any red ears of the sort. Okay, so what did you do? Well, the first thing I did is I knew my limitations. <laughs> so I went to find someone to verify that the turtle I was looking at didn't have red ears because this, this dang colorblindness that I have in me sometimes gets in the way. And just so you know, I see red just fine, but it's when it's in minute qu- quantities, it's sometimes difficult for me to pick up. But the person I consulted who was a perfect color seeing person, they confirmed there was hardly any, well, they, they didn't see any red in the photo. So I then decided to co- consult a few more trusted biologists, like more turtle people or herpetologists to be exact, to help with the identification. And here's the thing, Steph, it was a mixed bag. A couple of them said it was a red-eared slider. A couple of them said it was a map turtle. And a few others admitted, and I, I prefer this the most, a few others said they had no idea. <laughs> Needless to say, I was a little bum photoed with that whole Facebook post. Yeah. I mean, and baby, you know, baby ones are a little tougher. So let me guess. You did some more research, and now today's topic is turtles. Has anyone ever told you you're brilliant? A few times, but I don't believe them. Um, Anyway, once again, I really like this topic. You know, I find it so refreshing when we discuss some of those more obscure species, or in in this case, should I say more obscure class of animals, since turtles are are actually in a fairly large group. So, all right, turtles, how do you want to, how do you want to tackle this topic? You tell me, what do you think we ought to talk about when, when we're, okay, the goal of this podcast is to teach people about turtles. So where should we start? Uh, well, I think the first thing we should do is probably talk about turtles as a whole. And then if the conversation warrants, maybe we'll go into a few interesting facts or characteristics about a few individual species. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. So you want to start things up for us? Mm, Sure. All right. Um, well, let's start off by talking about their classification. Turtles, as many people know them, are oftentimes semi or mostly aquatic creatures that are usually not found too far from water. So what classification would you think the average person would think a turtle would be in? 
well since they're aquatic or semi-aquatic. I think a quick assumption would be that they had fallen the class amphibia and therefore would be classified as amphibians, in which if you made that assumption, you would be wrong. Correct. Turtles are not amphibians. They're classified as reptiles and they all belong to the class reptilia. But let me backtrack a little bit for you because we may have actually been lumping too many things together. How so? Well, so far we've been talking about turtles, but there's actually a couple of different broad classifications. You know, besides turtles, have you ever heard of tortoises? Of course. Uh, well, do you know the difference between the two? <laughs> yeah, tortoises are like some crazy kind of marathon runners, aren't they? Ah, uh, well, they are good at beating that hare in the old fairy tale story. After all, slow and steady wins the race. But um, anyway, but that's not the main difference. Think of turtles as being primarily aquatic, tortoises as being primarily land-based. Okay, that, that's simple enough. Turtles, turtles in water, tortoises are not. So I got one for you. Where does that put the terrapin? Good question and just for the record back on that fairy tale thing that's why the tortoise beat the hare and it wasn't the uh the turtle but anyway <laughs> so a terrapin i guess that if, they, it, they, it, 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 if it was swimming <laughs> if it was a swimming race it would have been well it wouldn't have been a hare then <laughs> exactly it would have been the turtle and the porpoise or something like that. yeah like we'd yeah. have to figure out in a like in a in an iron man competition <laughs> between them what would we have anyway but the, the terrapin that is a good question they actually fall somewhere in the middle they can spend quite a bit of time on land but they definitely do enjoy the water once in a while having said all this turtles tortoises and terrapins all have the same thing in common do you know what that is I just inhaled real deeply because I was thinking, um, I know, they all taste good in soup. Ew, no. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I, I don't think I've ever tasted turtle soup, nor would I want to. <laughs> ew. I still anyway. say ew. <laughs> anyway, I, I would imagine, obviously, turtles, tortoises, terrapins, obviously, it's their morphological similarities. And what I mean by that is it's their characteristic body design or body shape. And as everyone knows, turtles, as well as those other two, they all have that characteristic outer shell. And that shell is, believe it or not, it's more or less modified ribs that grows into that outer protective covering. Now, when you're looking at the turtle, that, that half dome-like shape that is seen on the top half of the turtle, that is called the carapace while the flat, smooth belly portion on the bottom, that is called the plastron. Yes. And despite what you sometimes see on cartoons, or what old man Johnson may say, turtles cannot come out of their shell. It's just as much a part of their body as your skin is to you. Believe it or not, the shell, it's actually made up of about 60 bones that are covered by plates called scutes. And scutes are made of keratin, the same material that makes up like human fingernails. Fingernails, eh? I guess that's why there's this sickening growing trend to paint turtle shells, like on live turtles. Serious? Yeah, sadly, oh, this, is the, this is the worry and dread of social media and Facebook. I've seen it more and more on these animal welfare and animal rehab pages on Facebook. And for some reason, 
people out there think it's this unique expression of art when you find a live turtle and you paint its shell all different colors. And mm. we cannot stress enough how terrible of an idea that is. Turtles, like many other animals, they can absorb nutrients through their shell. So obviously a heavy coat of paint would interfere with that. Yeah, for real. I mean, hello, vitamin D, get it from the sun. That just uh, humans as an example, but not only that, but look at the typical color of turtles. You know, they're usually some shade of green or brown or a mixture because they're, at the end, they're, they're fairly well camouflaged. And this is not only to protect them from predators, but since most turtles are omnivores and will eat other critters from time to time, it definitely, they need that camouflage. So that paint D, especially if it stands out, may hinder them from being able to catch food. You know, just look at that big old snapping turtle. You know, they they lay there and wait with, you know, dangling a little thing off of their tongue in hopes of just attracting, attracting a, an unsuspecting fish. I have no doubt a snapping turtle that's painted some bright color would have a much harder time trying to catch fish. Absolutely. And I will tell you, it just totally bothers a snot out of me whenever I see pictures like that. And sadly, there's a ton of people out there that only think of themselves and they don't think of the repercussions they may have on other species they interact with. So anyway. That's why we do this podcast. Yes, that is why we do this. Exactly why we do this podcast. Anyway, we getting back to describing turtles and what they look like. We all know the overall general look uh, of turtles. Now, size-wise for turtles, what are we looking at? Is, is there any wide variation? Are you talking between males and females as in sexual dimorphism? Because, you know, that varies. In terrestrial species like tortoises, the males tend to be larger than the females. Oftentimes, they're going to be, you know, fighting with each other for mates. So they develop these larger, stronger bodies that are kind of better suited for fighting. And then, you know, there's usually a lot less fighting in the truly aquatic turtles. So in that case, the females actually tend to be larger than the males. Well, actually, that was not what I was asking, but that's, oh. a, gr- that's a great tidbit of information. What, what I was looking for was something like, what's the largest turtle out there and what's the smallest turtle out there? Why didn't you just say that? I thought I just did. You just instinctively went for like the most complicated answer you could give. <laughs> hey, that's how I roll. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Anyhow, in actual size, some turtles can actually be pretty small. You know, for example, um, oh gosh, there's one I'm trying to remember its name. Uh, I think it's the Chersobia signitase or something like that. It, it's, it's the speckled dwarf tortoise. You know, it's this tiny, tiny critter um, that's naturally endemic to South Africa. And they measure like, like two to four inches in length. And they weigh in at like a whopping three to five ounces. And then to flip the, the coin here, the leatherback turtle on the other hand, which is, oh, and I'm with you. I'm not super big on my turtle, uh, you know, education here. It's like Dermokelis, I think it's Coriacea. Cori- are you sure? Coriacea, right? Yeah. I think. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, the leatherback turtle, as you all know them as well, can be quite massive. They can actually reach up to six feet in length and they can quite literally tip the scales at like almost 1500 pounds. And there's actually been some reports 
of a few of those turtles weighing in at close to 2,000 pounds. But those, unfortunately, have never been verified with certified scales. So anyway, what else What else do you want to know besides uh, the, the, the scientific nomenclature? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just pretty darn impressed you remembered those because you, you, you've got to have a cheat sheet there. I can't see you because you're a thousand miles away, but I, how, how the heck you impressed me with these scientific names is beyond, beyond belief. Anyway, I love those, those facts you give. So g- give me some more cool facts. Okay. Um, so we mentioned that many species of turtle are either semi or mostly aquatic. However, interestingly, they all lay eggs on dry land. Well, speaking of that, I lied. You lied? Yes, I lied. Because remember I told you my, my only professional experience was watching uh, Dakota and Sarah, those two black bears, engage in hand-to-hand combat with that attack turtle? <laughs> hand-to-hand combat. Yes, yes. Well, now that you mentioned the egg laying and the fact that turtles lay eggs, the all turtles lay eggs on land. I distinctly remember, and this is one of those memories that you have no idea why it is so crystal clear because it's such an obscure memory, but it's just something I remember very, very well. I distinctly remember when I was, I was doing this student internship in the Adirondacks. We, we had to stay up at this, this remote lake for two months and one of the coolest things I ever saw, it, it was this giant, big old snapping turtle. And they had, I just stumbled upon it on the ground and it had dug a hole. And I looked in the backside and it was like, plink, plink, plink. It was dropping these ping pong balls from her butt. <laughs> and and she, she was laying about 30 eggs in a nest that she ex- excavated. <sighs> It probably wasn't her butt. Balls it, from her butt. This sounds probably, so... <laughs> yeah, so educational, doesn't it? Yeah, thank you, old man Johnson. <laughs> anyway, considering you're still really a student, I won't take that as a professional experience, nor will I criticize too much, though I'll probably bring it up for the rest of your life about that description. <laughs> Do you want to hear something cool about those eggs? Yeah. Okay, so in... <laughs> I can tell. In most species of turtles, um, the, the sex of the offspring is usually determined by the temperature within the nest, um, which just for the record, I think that that, that little bit of knowledge with reptiles um, has actually kind of taken hold. So you, you heard it on Jurassic Park eons ago, 25 years ago when it first came out not exactly wrong. So the specific temperature can vary, but if the nest temperature um, is where it should be, then then that that clutch of eggs should hatch about 50% male and 50% female. If however, the nest is on the cooler side, there tend to be more male offsprings. So on the flip side of that, obviously, if the nest is a tad too warm, then you're generally going to get more females. So obviously, if there are extreme temperature swings, then most of the eggs um, they're, they're probably not even going to hatch, to be honest with you. Anyway, going with the slightly warmer temperatures, um, what we're seeing now with, with climate change is that it's having an effect on the number of males and females that are being hatched from those clutches out there. And that is one thing that has us worried about the future turtle populations. And, and deservedly so, because that would just mean that most of the, most of the turtles out there are being born female. So that's not good for, well... Yeah, obviously you need both male and female to carry on that population. 
So, so the human species has been telling me for ages. <laughs> I, I am on my I am on my game tonight, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's there's just so many concerns when it comes to wildlife and climate change. And okay, wait, hold on. You're off the hook there because that was actually a snide sexist remark about females always saying, Why do we need men around anyway, except for breeding? And uh, to open I, I well, th that's kind of why I, I stuttered a little bit because I was trying to think of a really funny comeback for like having all female turtles being born but I'm like she will get me back if I say something derogatory there so anyway <sighs> climate change <clears throat> climate change um since I know there's so much discussion about climate change but the fact that we're having these changes occurring at such an accelerated rate, the animals just can't adapt quickly enough as they need to. Mm, I agree. Anything Anything else though, before we move on that we need to touch on? Yeah, um, I think there's at least one more thing. Well, it's, it's well known, uh, well, at least fairly well known that turtles can live to be pretty old. How old is old? Like Daryl old or Stephanie old? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I can't believe you took that tone with me. <laughs> it is definitely Daryl old for the record um, because these things can be very ancient. <laughs> um, so we're, you know, we're talking some sea turtles and desert tortoises can actually live upwards of like 150 to 200 years. Although it has been claimed that some live as long as like three to 400 years even with, you know, Lonely George from Galapagos that has never been proven. Yeah, that that would be for those super long-lived animals. Like, no one, you got to be having a record of a birth date for centuries and centuries. And way back then, we just didn't keep good records. So, okay, my dear, since you just called me ancient, if I read that or heard that correctly, I'm going to put you on the spot. Would you happen to know what the oldest preserved, pre preserved, <laughs> presumed vertebrate animal is? Oh, uh, you did put me on the spot. That's not very nice. So are we talking just the, the species? Yeah, what type of animal? I, I, I'm looking for a very distinct species, but what... <sighs> What kind uh, of animal and how old? And don't like I'm not looking for a coral reef, which is okay. 4, okay, years. thank you. Yeah, and no. You, said well, you said vertebrate animal. Um, you know, there's a part of me that really wants to go with turtles, but I'm going to have to say whales. You're kind of close. It, it is a marine animal. The Greenland, okay. the Greenland shark. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. But they can live to be four or five hundred years old. That's pretty oh, crazy. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. See, and here's the problem. My head was stuck with, I know you said presumed, you know, the vertebrate animal, but in my head, I automatically have a tendency to go to mammals. And that's my my bad. I good job. That is very old. And that that truly is Daryl old. <laughs> Maybe we could do a podcast on those one day. Hey. Don't you mean an episode and not a podcast? I'm kind of ah. kind of very fond of this wildlife for you podcast, so I don't want us to do a different podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a shark, so <laughs> uh, anyway, shark. You know what I meant. Um, so have we have we dabbled in any of the individual species yet, or you know, or do you know? Are, we're starting to get to, to get that. We're starting. 
I, I would love to dabble, um, but we're we're probably getting to that point where we shouldn't dabble anymore. And um, but but here's the thing, Steph. You you haven't even answered the most important question of all, or at least I didn't even ask it. I don't think. Okay. Well, yeah. For starters, you definitely have to to ask before I could just. I mean, I'm good, but I am not that good. Well, the thing that spurred this whole episode was. How do you tell the difference between a baby red-eared slider and a map turtle? <laughs> oh, uh, see, now that's a, well, you know what? I, do you want me to take a guess or do you just want me to say we're going to have to save that for an episode and leave everybody with a cliffhanger? <laughs> I mean, do you want me to take a shot at it or is this a, a real do you, question? Well, do you know the answer? Because I don't. <sighs> we should probably save it. Yeah, we, in other words, folks, that means that we probably need to research it and find out. The baby ones for sure is going to be the, the kicker here. So, yeah, I, I'm going to send you that picture that was sent to me, and you, I, I'll send you the picture I found on the Tennessee Watchable Wildlife site as well. And you tell me they're not spitting images of each other. Anyway. Okay. Well, yes, but it does look like we probably then could save that for an ep- another episode. But given, Given the time anyway, it's probably about time that we wrap up the turtle discussion. Yeah, I think so too. But I am going to bring up one other fun fact, which is absolutely completely unrelated to turtles. This had better not be about bears. What is it? (laughs) We are actually, and it's not about bears, but we are actually nearing one of my favorite times of the year, which is early October. That's when one of my all-time favorite events occurs. Let me guess. You're going to tell us about hyperphagia. No, because that's about bears. And I already told you it wasn't going to be about bears. <laughs> anyway, um, this, you know, you're the one that keeps bringing up bears now. Like, oh. you've already brought it up twice in this episode. And first, Okay, talking- no, you brought bears up first because you said something about Dakota. And I just wanted to explain what that is. Okay. Because- I was clarifying. Well, you, you, you clarified my attack turtle experience with Dakota and Sarah at the Bear Center, and now you're trying to talk about hyperphagia and, and this feeding frenzy that bears have. So I was right. You want to talk about hyperphagia? No, you were wrong. <laughs> Although I do love hyperphagia, I was referring to another awesome term. It's one of my favorite terms that occurs in early October. Do you have any guesses? It's not hyperphagia, but it's another super cool term. Is there any hint? Well, well, if you think I'm going to do another pig sound like I did on the last episode, think again. But, but, but I will, I will give you a, I'm trying to think how I could do this. Okay. Here, th- this is as good as it gets. What? What was that? That was a really poor excuse for a bird call, if that's what you're going for. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you are actually so close. As you know, most bird calls, those mating calls, those occur in the springtime. So what happens around early October, when the photo period, or, or should I say the amount of sunlight is almost exactly the same as it was in the springtime, and temperatures are often quite similar as they were in the springtime. What happens? Autumnal recrudescence. Yes, autumnal recrudescence. I'm sorry, it just it just rolls off the tongue. I love that saying. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> it roll, say it again. 
autumnal recrudescence. See? I mean, but we're used to saying that. Other people think that we are just not. Oh my dog. gosh! Yeah, we we're total geeks, and I love it. But anyway, I absolutely love those two words together. So. For those that don't know what autumnal recrudescence is, it's when the fall daylight and temperatures mimic the exact same conditions as you have in early spring. And so this oftentimes tricks birds into performing their mating calls. And obviously mating calls are usually reserved for the springtime when the birds are getting ready to mate and to nest. So in early October, around this time of the year, or within a couple of weeks, if you happen to hear some of your favorite birds like doing some of their mating calls over the next few weeks, don't freak out. It's just autumnal recrudescence. Oh my gosh, I love those two words. <laughs> you are such the geek. Okay, <laughs> let's wrap this puppy up. Hey, you're going to go wrapping puppies up. I'm definitely reporting you. <laughs> so, so you have any shout outs this week? Uh, you know what? No. I don't, Dee. How about you? It sounds like you're always busy at work or something that you can never think I, of good shadows. Yeah, I, I I, think I put in an average of 50 to 60 hours a week anymore. So, yeah, I don't have time for to, to talk to people, so I don't okay. get any shout-outs. Okay, well, I, here, I'll do two of them. That way, I'll cover one for you. So, the first one, I want to do a shout-out to Trish. She was one of our longtime listeners and followers. She was the one that reminded me of autumnal recrudescence which should be occurring soon. So that's why I wanted to sneak it in to give a shout out to Trish for reminding me of that awesome fact. Uh, the second one is I want to give a shout out. I'm not going to mention the name because I didn't um, ask permission or anything, but we had, I, I did a post on the wildlife for you Facebook page and it was in regards to this drone. Did, did you see that, that post on, the Facebook page where the drone flew too close to the alligator? No. It's a really cool and sad video, but someone down in the Everglades flew the drone and they flew it right up to this big alligator, literally a foot away from the alligator. And guess what the alligator did? I hope he ate the drone. Well, he, not ate it, ate it, but I hope he destroyed oh, it. Oh, he did. He, he ate it, ate it. And the, the, the sad part of it, I was like, yeah, I can't believe he just did that. It was so cool. But then uh, uh, about 10 seconds later, you see smoke coming out of the alligator's mouth. So hopefully the alligator was okay. And well, so, yeah, and I mean, that's got to come out too. Yeah, and so we uh, we posted that on the Wildlife Free Facebook page, and we said this is why drones and wildlife don't mix, because they can absolutely harass wildlife. Now, where my shout-out comes was for someone who – who literally challenged us and they said, get real. Is this really what you're worried about? There are so many other things that are impacting wildlife. I don't think this is an issue that's worth getting worried over. And I thought, man, that's a really good point because there are so many other things that are so much more impactful to wildlife. And so it caused me to think and to really reflect on that, what, what was said to us. And my response to him was, yes, there are other things out there that are more impactful. You have suburban sprawl, you have pollution, you have climate change, you have things that are really having major impacts on wildlife and drones aren't having that impact yet. However, 
if we had the foresight to begin to address things that may impact wildlife populations, if we had the foresight to, to address them before they became impactful. So a hundred years ago, when we were, when, when we were dealing with this urban sprawl and everything else, if we looked ahead to say, hey, we got to do things in a better way, we wouldn't be mitigating all these issues that we are now. So the bottom line is, I don't think it's too early to begin to think, hey, if this gets out of hand, we could have major impacts to wildlife. So in 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, if there's going to be thousands of drones flying around, I think we should think about what their impact could be now. So anyway, a huge shout out to the person that caused us to take a step back and reflect and think critically about this issue. Thank you to them. We really do appreciate your input. And like I said, it doesn't matter if it's good input, bad input, it's all valuable input, so. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think honestly, the one thing that we have to remember is it's all about, it's all about responsible actions and accountability. So, you know, as the one demonstration of that, uh, you know, people, we, we're condemning the fact that people are acting irresponsibly and interfering with wildlife. The drone is consequential. The, the drone is just a, and this is me coming after the fact. I wasn't involved in any of the argument. I didn't even see Facebook. I, I you know, you know how I am. Yep. I don't look at Facebook, but quite honestly, it's all about human behavior and just being responsible with the behaviors that we demonstrate when it comes to wildlife, period. Yeah, yeah and, so, that, and anyway. just so you know, it's not that alligator clip was not the only incident of of a drone harassing um, no, wildlife. Yeah. Do, do you remember that one with the grizzly bear? Grizzly bears, grizzly bears has yeah. been a thing, but it's not even just wildlife when it comes to drones. So we don't want to focus on drones because drones are also interfering with airspace. They're interfering with trains. I mean, they're, they're interfering with cars. There's lots of, but at the end of the day, what it all boils down to is humans need to act responsibly. Yes. It's not a, there's a constant thing. And this is in science. This is in normal day-to-day -day life. It literally spans the, the entire spectrum of just because we can, doesn't mean that we should. Exactly. And we have to think about those activities. So Anyway, very, very good. And thank you for telling me about it because you actually made me stop and think while you were talking about that. But okay. what do you say we, we wrap? There's no puppy wrapping here. So let's just say we wrap this up. <laughs> well, since you're leaving the puppy alone, go for it. Okay. So as usual, folks, we would love to thank you for taking the time to spend with us. We know that you could spend your time doing anything you wanted and you chose to spend it with us. So we very much appreciate you for that. As an ambassador for wildlife, we do hope that you're going to share our messaging and obviously tell your friends, family, and everybody that you know about our, our Facebook, wildlifefreeu.com is our webpage. You can find us at Wildlife For You on Facebook and then obviously subscribe to our podcast so you get notified whenever we have new messages that come out for y'all episodes for the record, as we like to say. But, um, and again, you guys really are ambassadors and it does take a lot of critical thinking. And we have to remember folks that when it comes to wildlife, your knowledge often means their existence. Good night, folks. Hey, Steph. Yaddy. You have a wonderful, wonderful time on your vacation. You so deserve it. You too. And don't replace me because I'm not going away. The woodchucks are not uh, clamoring to do the podcast with me. I've tried. You, you asked them already? <laughs> <laughs> Only Chubbuck. 